This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. The Delta variant of coronavirus, latest curveball. This was first detected in India. How worried, though, should you be, especially if you're fully vaccinated? The workplace regulators here in this state, California, back to the drawing board on masking rules after they came under fire for sticking with strict policies. And then summer school going to be popular, people trying to make up for what was lost during the year of distance learning. We start with that Delta variant originated in India during the surge there. Now it's making its way to other countries. How worried should you be? Dr. Amesh Adalja, senior scholar at the Johns Hopkins University Center for Health Security, served as an advisor to FEMA, other government health agencies, on pandemic response and preparedness. So I talked to him along with Rob Archer. The U.K. is having trouble with this one right now. Uh, Dr. Fauci here in the U.S. says we can't let that same thing happen here. So, Dr. Dalja, what do we have to know about this variant of concern from India? So the Delta variant is the one that was first discovered in India, coincident with their surge in cases that really shook the world because they were it was so horrific. And what we know about this variant is that it has a slew of mutations that are associated with being more transmissible than the original version of the virus. And it seems to outcompete whatever variants are, are around it. And in the United Kingdom, it's seeming to uh, have gotten a, a major foothold. The important point to remember, though, is that it is something that can be handled with vaccines. And it's really important that people have both doses of their vaccine to remain resilient against this this variant. And I think the problems that you'll see will be related to unvaccinated people getting infected with this and the vaccinated people largely being immune from any severe consequence of that disease. But the fact is, we've got a lot of unvaccinated people. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, this is another uh, reason, another reminder that people should get their vaccine if they haven't done it already, because these new uh, variants might be uh, more dangerous, more deadly if you get it. But for now, that uh, the vaccines appear to be protecting against these variants. But should we be frightened that at some point a coronavirus variant is going to come out that's going to say, I see your vaccine and I don't care. And there are all our vaccine plans are going to be out the window. That's always a biological possibility, but what we've seen so far with all of the variants that COVID-19 has kicked up is that a fully vaccinated individual is really protected from severe disease, hospitalization, and death. And it makes sense biologically that it would be very hard for a variant to evade all of the immunity that's induced by the vaccine, not just the antibodies, but the T cells, and be able to cause serious infection. So I think this is something to look for, but it's not something that I expect to happen. We have not seen any of these high consequence variants. And, and I think it's it's something that we, we have to keep in mind, though, when we're talking about unvaccinated populations, because we may see more variants. But I think that this is more of a uh, it's a biological possibility, but not something I expect to happen as long as we continue to vaccinate at the rate that we're vaccinating. For the vaccinated people, I still see a lot of fear out there among certain people about, you know, what happens to me if I if I am one of these rare breakthrough cases? Does that mean it's going to end up really, really bad? So let's say uh, it happens with you and, and you do come across the Delta. Does this mean you're just less likely to, to get an asymptomatic case and, and you're going to get something like a cold? Or is it more akin to the flu? Or do you maybe wind up in the hospital? Because that's what people want to know. But if your vaccine mostly works, then the idea is keeping you out of the hospital. Right. So if you're a fully vaccinated individual and you get a breakthrough case, whether it's the whether it's the Delta variant, the Alpha variant, the Beta variant, any of the variants or the original version of the virus, 
it's unlikely to even cause you any symptoms because the vaccines are just that good. It's extremely rare to get a breakthrough infection. It's like 0.0002% of people who are fully vaccinated get a breakthrough infection. And a breakthrough infection that's severe enough to land you in the hospital is 0.0 with a lot more zeros. So it's not something that's very, very common. That's why it's so important to get vaccinated and to think of these vaccines as adding a lot of value to your individual life because not only does it make you not a threat to others, this virus, including its variants, really are no longer threats to you if you're fully vaccinated. Are we going to keep seeing more variants come out or is at some point the coronavirus going to get tired and just kind of stop? Viruses mutate. That's just what they do. So we will continue to see a lot of variants that that are generated. Remember, the the variants that we talk about, these Greek letter variants, these aren't the only variants. These are the ones that we're actually tracking. There are many, 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 many more variants, most of which have no consequence. But viruses mutate. There are always going to be variants as long as the virus is infecting people. And it's going to be doing that basically forever now since it established itself in the human population and we're not going to get to COVID zero. But most of those variants are not going to have any clinical consequence and largely will be taken care of by, by the vaccines. Dr. Amesh Adalja, Senior Scholar, Johns Hopkins University Center for Health Security. The virus is not me. It doesn't get tired and just quit. (laughs) California and the workplace and whether you got a mask or not mask. The workplace regulators last week, they said, yes, you still have to wear your masks, even if you are fully vaccinated, if there's at least someone in that office. That is not. That doesn't have their vaccine. That didn't go too well with business groups, and apparently the governor did some leaning on them because it conflicts with what the CDC has said about masking. So they are going to reconsider this. Lynn Morfeld, president and CEO of the California Hotel and Lodging Association, Rob Archer and I were talking with him about uh, what these rules uh, could look like and what he thinks they should look like. Um, what I would love to see is, is Cal OSHA following CDC and California Department of Public Health um, and um, letting them let the science lead the entire process here. They've, they've been out of step the entire time. So, you know, let's follow the science, as Governor Newsom has said many times, and just about every other public health agency in the state as well. And that would be vaccinated, fully vaccinated. You prove it, you take them off. If you're unvaccinated and you're in the workplace, uh, whatever it is, call center, working together with your coworkers, uh, then you got to leave them on. That's what it would look like. Yes, correct. I mean, the state has proven um, very successfully that vaccinations are the best protection for everybody. Um, so, you know, let's have everyone get vaccinated. And if they aren't vaccinated, the mask is uh, is a second best at that. But I think CDC has proven um, through various studies that um, uh, vaccinated um, individuals are are protected without a mask from from getting COVID. Um, and so, you know, the best thing is, is have everything aligned and stop the jumble of, of multiple agency rules throughout this process. It's just confusing. But, you know, the next problem is this. Uh, if you're fully vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask, but you're going to have to require proof that someone is vaccinated and some people are going to push back against that. What what's, uh, Do you have an idea for solutions to that? Well, I think that that cuts both ways. I think that, you know, the businesses um, are, you know, there's a privacy issue in HIPAA in terms of collecting that data from the employees. Um, and on the guest side, um, you're not going to know that and we're not going to be able to collect that in the in the great state of California. So 
it kind of comes at you from both sides in terms of of the collection you know darned if you do and darned if you don't on on the data i'm wondering for the employees though because they're around a lot of people and we'll stick with lodging because that's that's where you're from this is your industry um yep. someone could come in and say yes i got my vaccine they're at the front desk whatever now i'm walking around the hotel and i'm not wearing my mask because i say i'm vaccinated what if your workers want to know because they feel safer that all these people coming through actually are saying the truth to you guys yeah, that is a good question. It's a $64,000 question. Um, you know, I guess we have to have some personal responsibility here overall. Um, but the the employees always have the option of wearing a mask. We're not going to tell someone to not wear a mask if they aren't comfortable with it as well. So the employees can protect themselves. Um, and, you know, if we all follow CDC and the California Department of, of Public Health, um, we should be in good shape here. So let's all follow the science on this. And then, of course, you know, you have the, the hypothetical situation at the start. You have somebody that says they were vaccinated. They don't have to show proof. Uh, they walk around without a mask on. It turns out they they do have a case of COVID and they spread it. Then you've got uh, problems where when, you know, the medical personnel find out that's the case, uh, then somebody's going to want to hold you responsible for not enforcing uh, proof of vaccination. Yeah, I would imagine. I mean, the liability is always scary to us. We're very litigious in the state of California. Um, so the liability is, is always an issue. In terms of lodging or, or the hotel specifically, you know, the, the exposure um, guidance has been, you know, exposed within six feet for 15 minutes um, over a 24 hour period. Um, and we really think that hotels are pretty safe because that doesn't happen too terribly often in terms of a relationship between employees and the guests at that point. Here's the next hypothetical. Uh, and It's been discussed all the way through. The real way to do this is a vaccine passport some kind of system we're all in you got to show it at the door do you foresee a day like that because because the fights over that are going to be pretty pretty rough yeah you know um i'm not sure that the state of california or even the u.s is is ready for that um you know we're, we're watching that in international markets as well um, you know, that's probably the nirvana that everybody has a passport and you can go through that as well. I think that we've got some privacy issues, some health issues that'll prevent that from happening, though, unfortunately. Lynn Morfeld, President, CEO of the California Hotel and Lodging Association. Let's talk about summer school. The 2020-2021 academic school year, uh, less than ideal, left a lot to be desired, right? All the Zoom classes. So we've got this achievement gap. We had it before the pandemic. It's even worse now. So a lot of people are thinking about summer school. Participation looks to be very high over the next few months, but can that be enough to close the gap? Catherine Augustine, senior education researcher at Rand Corporation, studied this issue. Rob and I talked to her about uh, heading back to school during the summer for at least uh, a few weeks. Well, yeah, maybe a part of it. And thanks for having me, Rob and Mike. Um, you know, most summer programs are five weeks long. Five weeks of learning in the summer equals five weeks of learning in the school year. And arguably, a lot of kids have lost more than that, right? Or haven't been exposed to or taught the content that they typically are. So, you know, the money that's coming in for summer programming is also to be used for after school programming during the year and for summer programming for you know, the, the following summer and the summer after that. So there's a lot that can be and, and should be done um, to help kids who've struggled over this past year. Is it going to be different than what we're used to? Because the way I remember summer school was like, you know, I almost flunked statistics, right? So I went back to summer school and then I did better and I learned it again and then my grade was better. So is it for one class or is it like 
let's get kids back learning some of these uh, basics or whatever it is over this, you know, whatever grade it was to try and pick up maybe some of what they missed. And it's a five week uh, crash course. Well, it really depends on the kid's age. So you were probably talking about a high school experience, it sounds like. And and yes, one, you know, a class that someone struggled with in high school could be gone over this summer. Um, for younger kids, I think districts and schools are going to have to be fairly strategic and really figure out, okay, you know, what does a third or fourth grader need to be ready for the next school year. It could be that they just need to focus on fractions or on decimals or on measurement. And, and so it's going to really vary from kid to kid, from grade to grade. And, and some kids have been, you know, pretty okay this past year and have stayed on track. So it's not necessarily the fact that all kids will benefit from a summer program this year, but I hope that teachers and schools can be strategic in identifying the kids who can. The pandemic exposed a lot of disparities uh, between different communities when it comes to education. Summer school, obviously, not going to be any different, right? Uh, How big are the disparities in uh, summer school education? Well, I advocate for summer programs because they can focus on the kids who have struggled the most in the prior year, right? This is not extending the school year for all kids. It's really taking the time to help kids who have fallen the most behind. And this year, kids will... Yeah, are likely to need, you know, counseling and mental health supports. And, and so these summer programs can also be a bridge for some kids into back to, you know, more normalcy in the school year than they might have had during this past year. So finding those kids who have been left further behind than others in this past year and helping them in the summer is, in my opinion, what summer programs should be all about is overcoming that disparity. So I'm thinking, you know, usually it's parents, right, saying, I think you should go to summer school. But I'm wondering if this year maybe it's a little different and it's some kids going, I missed actually seeing people and going to a desk and doing things. And now maybe, you know, I'm not giving up my whole summer. It's five weeks. Uh, I think I want to go and do this. Yeah, and older kids in particular might be making that decision more proactively than they have in the past, particularly if they're filling out, you know, thinking about college and thinking about college applications. Um, younger kids, I don't know. <laughs> they, they <laughs> no, might I want to stay home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they might not be so strategic and purposeful, but... But you're right, it, it is usually a decision for younger kids made by parents, usually in conjunction with teachers. And of course, you know, some kids haven't been in as much contact with teachers as they are typically, which will make things a little bit more challenging for some schools. Yeah, on that note, I mean, would a teacher really know, and we hope they do, that a kid is, I, there's grades, right? We can look at it in the, in the book. But if someone is not super tuned into Zoom, but you got 30 little faces in front of the screen, I mean, how are you going to know if someone's really having a, a tougher time and might need something like this? Exactly. And what about the kids who didn't show up at all? There, there are those as well. You know, it's funny you ask that because typically there are community organizations that are banging on a school's door to try to get help getting kids into their summer programs, right? Like for the Boys and Girls Clubs or YMCAs. This year, the schools are going to have to do that because it's those kinds of community and cultural organizations that might have been more in touch with kids, um, particularly of essential workers. They served as hubs for online learning when the schools were not open. So schools might need to look more to community partners for help in identifying the kids and contacting them. Is there a silver lining in the uh, pandemic uh, 
that means more kids are going to be attending summer school to try to catch up. Will this maybe make some school districts recognize the importance of summer school education programs and maybe want to spend more money on them in the future? Yeah, I hope so. Or at least have more experience with them. If they haven't offered them in the past, they might see not only that they're beneficial, but that it's not as daunting to pull them off as they might have otherwise thought. And kids can benefit in a lot of ways. You know, I mentioned the the social and mental health support earlier, and these programs often provide that as well. So um, I think, I hope that schools see the benefit. I hope teachers enjoy teaching in them. You know, they, they will have been burnt out after this past year, but there are ways that they can do this that makes it a relatively light lift. So I, I just hope that that this happens and that kids and the teachers enjoy it. Is there an argument to be made then for, for just adding a couple of weeks on either end of the school year instead of doing this? Or is something over the summer important because we remember how it was, <clears throat> excuse me, for us and there was always that brain drain and you would come back to school and be like, oh, I forgot some stuff. And this year is probably even worse. Yeah, that's a good question. And there are certainly people who advocate for extending the school year. I still think that the summer should be used to really hone in on the kiddos who were struggling during the school year. Um, you know, that way teachers have smaller class sizes, there's less pressure. If, you know, if the school year is extended, the teachers might feel the same kind of pressure to, you know, get kids ready for a test or something. This way, it's a little bit more laid back. Teachers report that they can actually, you know, develop relationships with kids that they can't do during the school year. There's just something special about having fewer kids together. Um, and kids that are often, you know, they're just overlooked during the school year for one reason or another. Catherine Augustine, senior education researcher, Rand Corporation, has looked at this issue. Catherine, thanks. This is an Odyssey original. You can find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.